Amen. Thanks, Maddie. Thank you, worship team. Amazing as ever. Um, anyone here for the first time tonight? It's unusual during the holidays. I'm just curious. Well, it's good to see the faithful core. <laughs> <You know. laughs> I'm actually quite, I'm quite pleased um, because this is, this is a great series. Gosh, but preparing these sermons is not fun. Um, I hope hearing them <laughs> is at least somewhat rewarding. We'll see, so the pain's worth it. Maybe, Meg, maybe. Um, yeah, will you, just, will you just pray with me again? Will you let Nicholas open his bags of chips? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, we, um, we worship you as our king. Lord, we acknowledge you as king. Lord, as, um, as I preach tonight, Lord, as we, as we listen for your truth tonight, I pray that you would bring freedom to our hearts and freedom to our minds and freedom to our spirits. Lord, we lay down our ways of doing things because you are king. And it's you that we live to honor. It's you that we love. It's you that we seek. So Lord, whatever I say tonight that is of you, let it strike hearts. Anything I say that is not of you, Lord, let it fall away. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks, guys. I just thought we could double pray on that one uh, tonight. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mentioned last week that um, before we get to particular sins, which we, we're going to start in about two weeks, um, and, and we've got some good ones to look at, okay? It's going to be, I, I'm not going to say it's going to be fun, is it? But it's, it's going to be life-giving, okay? We're going we're gonna to go after lust, and we're going to go after religious pride, and we're going to go after rebellion, and you know, a couple of other things. Um... But tonight I, I wanted to speak about the world. Okay, so last week I talked about the flesh. Um, next week I'm gonna talk about the devil. Um, all three feature, obviously, in all three weeks. Um, and and this, is, this has been a really interesting sermon to prepare. There's so much scripture that I really should do this in two or three, as has been my want recently. Um, but I think that this stuff is going to keep coming up as we go through particular sins. You know, we're going to come back to some of these things. Um, and so if I, if I say something tonight that strikes you, um, chat to me about it. Um, know that I'll hopefully have time to flesh these things out more. Okay? Some things I say tonight, tonight might irritate you. Okay? Um, 
But if Jesus could get stoned, I guess that's a good precedent. Uh, if people would want to kill him, so, and indeed eventually did. Um, so, on that happy note, um, you know, so, you know, what I do in my professional life when, you know, when I'm not teaching and I do research is I, I spend quite a lot of time researching the persecuted church. And, you know, anytime you deal with a persecuted church, um, you never persuade a persecuted Christian that the world is set against the church. Okay. Um, people are beaten, they um, are thrown in jail, they are tortured, they are killed for owning a Bible or for believing in Jesus. Uh, it's really easy for them to see those, the systems of the world set against them. Um, and that's something that I, I have such appreciation for the fact that I can worship and you know, that we can all come here and worship freely together. Um, but I'm also so grateful for the men and women that I, that I study who exemplify the life of Christ in a way that I cannot fathom. I, I recently watched a, a, an interview with a woman in Nigeria who was um, captured by a, a, a terror group. She was given the choice to convert from Christianity to Islam in which case she would just be married to a man, she wouldn't be taken on as a sex slave, but she refused, so she was taken as a sex slave. She became pregnant. Um, while she was pregnant, she managed to escape, um, and she was picked up by a relief organization. And, and this interview happens about six months later, it's not a long time, and she's just praising God for how good he is. <laughs> I'm like, wow the things I complain about. <laughs> and this woman just could speak of love because she had met the God of love even though she had met evil in the world around her. She had met love and that love was greater. And that love overcame the world and overcame the sin. So yeah, I'm going I'm to say a few things tonight and we're going to do communion again during the final worship song as, as a chance for us to, to repent, a chance for us to come and be forgiven, um, a chance to express our love for Christ and his death for us. But let, let's start by reading Ephesians 2, just a few verses from Ephesians 2. This is the scripture where we often get this idea of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, so Paul writes, and you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So you know, it's, a, it's a really quite depressing but powerful picture that Paul paints here. Okay, that we, we live in a world, this world has systems, there's a course, a system that the world has, and that this system is not somehow neutral, something that humanity has come up with, but it's actually set according to the prince of the air, okay, to, to spiritual forces that set up a system. And that system, that system is spiritually charged, and the way that it operates, for the most part, is working through our flesh and our minds. So it's attractive to us on either a flesh level or an intellectual level. Okay, and there's a really interesting um, warning there for us who want to be religious. Okay, that it can hit us on both places. So the world, the flesh, the devil, all interlinked. 
Um, each feeds the other. But ultimately, just appreciate that this is spiritually charged. Okay, and when we come to talk about some sins, we'll talk about this. Why is it that some things just seem to have more power over us? Why are they harder to defeat? And it's often because they are spiritually charged and they can actually have a hold on us. And I'll talk about strongholds next week. So John, um, John's books are amazing. Um, they are so full of love. Um, but First John 5, um, I'm going to read 19 to 21. John writes this, We know that we are of God and that the whole world is under the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So the thing, you know, I look at the persecuted church and and the systems of the world are really easy to see. For us, they're a lot more subtle. And they can be harder to see. And they can be harder to discern as evil. Quite often, um, they are supposed to be good. And I think, you know, if you look at John in the context he was writing, I think around about AD 90, this is a pretty horrendous world that he was in. With most of the disciples had been murdered, killed, Jerusalem had fallen, Jews were scattered. And there was widespread killing of children and rape, etc., 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 etc. It's quite easy. You can see that. And I think, you know, there are so many things the church has done well and humanity has developed and there are things around us that we can look at and say, these things are good. You know, they're better. Not everything around us is evil, which is probably what John saw. But even John facing all of that depravity and all the, all the hardship around him. He writes earlier in chapter 5, Everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. And this is the thing that I love about the church. Um, and maybe we're less good at this now than we used to be. But the church has spread on the gospel of Jesus' love, of Jesus' sacrifice. It did not spread. Jesus did not tell his disciples to take up swords and shields and to spread by war. He taught us to spread by love, that we would be involved in a war, but that would be a spiritual war, not a physical war. And that is still the gospel that he calls us to advance, a gospel of love. And when I... um, (laughs) Whenever I say this expression, because I'll probably say it a few times tonight, that you know, we, are to, we are to spread this gospel of love, we are to speak of love. Whenever I use that phrase, really what I'm saying is that we, we're supposed to be helping people to meet Jesus. Okay, to meet the one who is love. That's our goal. Because Jesus is the one who brings purpose. He's the one that brings hope. He's the one who brings peace. He's the one that makes us know that we are loved. I have no desire to introduce people to a dry religion. And remember the promise that Jesus gave to Peter, that not even death would be able to stand against his kingdom. The greatest threat the enemy has, the world has, ultimately is death, which Jesus won. He defeated. And so, you know, I say the things in the world around us are subtle. Um, So, um, I'm a political scientist. I had to try really hard not to make this a lecture, okay? So forgive me um, if I ever like, veer towards my professorship. I'm trying really hard not to. 
but I spend hours talking to students about politics and the things of the world, um, and you know, the world is pretty broken, isn't it? And, and maybe evil isn't as subtle at the moment that it was maybe a year or two or three ago. And we can look at things like war and see evil of man and flesh and the world bringing death and destruction. But I'm as worried, in fact, I'm probably more worried about the things that are subtle than the things that are obvious. And we, we, have this, we have this really challenging task as Christians that we have to represent he who is love. And we have to obey the word that he gives us. Like this has to be our truth. This has to be the foundation of everything that we do. I don't have the right to read this and to pull out the things that I think, Jesus, I just don't think this is a good idea. I just don't think this is the best way for people to meet you. Like this has to be my truth. And as I often say of charismatics, if we are going to be crazy enough to believe the things that Jesus says, that people will be healed and set free, <laughs> raised from the dead. If I've got to believe the crazy things in here, I have to believe everything that it says. Okay, I can't pick and choose. And if I'm not picking and choosing, if I'm not willing to edit this book, if I'm not willing to edit God's truth, I am going to come into opposition with the systems of the world. Yes, the world is empowered. The systems of the world, if, if what Paul writes is true, that is empowered by Satan, then if we are representing God's kingdom, we are going to impact the systems of the world. It is always going to happen. And as I often say to my students, if your life is easy, you might want to rethink your life it might be that you're not actually pushing against the things of the world. <laughs> so there are some things that are increasingly pressing in us from the world, increasingly occupying conversations. Um, even at a place like Taylor, you know, which is a wonderful evangelical university. There's Bill and I teach there, there's people here who teach at Iwu and Ball State and other places. But the conversations that we are having where things that were true a few years ago are no longer taken to be true. And there, there, comes, a, there comes a point where, where the world's pressing in on us, we have to be willing to say, well actually this is my truth. This is my truth that I have to say that homosexual sin is evil. It's a sin. I have to say that God made man and woman. He made male and female. I have to say abortion is a sin. There are things that we have to stand on. There are things, there are things that, <laughs> the only way we can get around them is if we edit this book, and if we're not prepared to edit it, then we have to stand on them if we are going to be faithful to Christ and faithful to scripture. But um, even as I say that, we also have to be aware 
in the church. But some of those things are, you know, things that are becoming popular to talk about or shout about. Um, and it's so tempting in the church that we rank sin. We start saying some sins are worse than others. And so we might hear much more about homosexual sin than heterosexual sin, you know. Um, and we don't often hear about greed and Christians who fall into greed, who fall into religion, which, let's be honest, is something that Jesus really hated. <laughs> was a religion that didn't lead to life. We have to be honest about the fact that so many Christians fall in the face of just so much unrelenting sexuality around us all the time. These are all sins and these are all things that God doesn't like. <laughs> and they're all things that we need to be saying, these are sins and we need to not walk in them and we need to be faithful. Kath and I were talking earlier about um, advertising and social media and yeah, we live in this world where we now even have artificial intelligence and computer programs, algorithms, sending us the things that we want to see. Sometimes things that we don't want to see, but maybe things that our flesh wants to see. And they get emphasized to us and repeated to us and thrown at us. It's a strange world. <laughs> And honestly, even, even as I was preparing the sermon, um, I, I, could feel, you know, I could feel rebellion rising up in me, desire rising up in me, you know, the desire, not for anything specific, but really the desire to do what I want to do. Like I'm in charge of my life. Individualism and rebellion. There's so much of the system in the world around us that wants us to do that. So be happy. Do whatever it takes. Your happiness comes first. As if the world can actually give us that which can make us happy. And it can't. It never can. It never has. It never will. It's only Jesus who will do that. So what are we to do? <laughs> Not surprisingly, we have to surrender. <laughs> and we have to abide. We have to abide the more that the world around us pushes against us, the more we have to spend time with him. There's a, uh, there's a sermon, sorry, not a sermon, an interview with a Chinese pastor that I love. Um, and he actually says, so he's been interviewed by an American pastor, and he says, every one of you American Christians, you literally need to build yourselves a jail cell in your basement. And once a week, lock yourself in there and give someone else the key so that you're forced to spend time with God. And you're forced away from your comforts. And because you lack the discipline to actually do it. <laughs> it's really quite a good interview. But there's so much clamoring for us and we need to abide. John writes this a few verses before in 1 John 2. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as, as it has taught you, you will abide in him. I know we've read John 15 a lot, so I thought I'd read one John. Okay, we abide in him. 
Jesus promised us that the Spirit would lead us into all truth. He tells us that we are his sheep and his sheep know his voice. There's so much in Scripture that will show us, that that tells us that Jesus will lead us. But we will only hear his voice if we abide. And we will only hear his voice and we will only abide if we surrender. If we are not surrendered, abiding is not worthless, but it's not going to really introduce us to Jesus. So we have to abide and we have to surrender. And if we don't do those two things, the thing that Jesus actually calls us to do is going to be really tough. And that is to speak truth. And you've all heard this expression, speak the truth in love. Like we hear, I hear it all the time. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And it's true and it's biblical and it's what we have to do. But quite frankly, really quite often we get the truth part right and we get the love part really, we get that really wrong. We do that part poorly. Um, even, even as I say that, bear in mind to speak truth is to love. Okay? To speak truth is to love. If, if you do not speak truth, if you do not speak truth about the systems of the world that are around people, that are drawing people into bondage, then you do not love. I hope that makes sense. Okay, but we are called to love. And we are called to introduce people to Jesus. And if we are not abiding in him, if we are not surrendered to him, we are going to lack the capacity to actually introduce people to him. This has to be a priority for us. You know, we, and we look, at, you know, we look at Paul who writes these amazing epistles and who writes on you know, at least two or three occasions these lists of sins that affect people of the world but also people of the church. But he's also the one who says, do not judge. He's also the one who says, I am the worst of all sinners. That as we speak to the world around us, as we speak truth and as we speak in love, we are always speaking from a place that we are sinners but we are saved and we are loved. And the same love that Jesus gives to us is what we speak to the world around us. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And the thing with this, this section, which is one of the sort of spiritual warfare passages, is that Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have allowed themselves to be deceived by doctrines within the church itself. And when he's talking about these high things, he's talking against the pride of man. He's talking against those things that would lead people into captivity. You know, one, one, of, one of the things that I delight so much again in talking about and looking at the persecuted church right to the very beginnings of the Protestant church is the fact that people would die to have the right to read this, to read it for themselves, and not to have someone else to tell them what it means. Now, I'm a university professor, okay, so I'm not telling you not to be thoughtful, not to read books. I love reading. I love learning from people. But just, (laughs) we have to be wary 
of even within the church where we see the systems of the world coming in and saying, you know what, I think this is okay. I think this is all right, or that's all right. A few years ago, um, you know, so Kath and I were in, and my family were in the Anglican church. My dad's an Anglican priest. I was a, a leader in my dad's church. So the head of my church was the Archbishop of Canterbury. Okay, it's one of the most important positions in the church in the world. And the Archbishop was not the current one, a previous one, was delighted to be welcomed into the Druidic order. And he went through a ceremony which made him a Druid. And he talked about the sort of mystery of Druid practices. Druids are basically witches, magicians, demonic. But the Archbishop seemed to think this was a really good idea. And one of the brightest men that you can possibly meet, his, I can't read his books, they're actually above me. I can't, I can't actually process him, was, he's so clever. But for all his wisdom, his spirit was dull to the reality of what he was agreeing with. And he said, you know, this is good. We can talk across these different spiritual practices. <laughs> I said, by all means, have a conversation, but don't join them for goodness sake. It's just bizarre to me. And someone right at the top of the church can make these sorts of things, make these sorts of decisions. We have to be so wary of even what we see within the church. It's becoming common practice now in some of the cases in Europe relating to um, Christian freedom and religious freedom that judges are referring to some Christians and the things that they do to justify persecuting Christians. Um, and this is a problem and it's just going to increase. The churches themselves are giving the world the access and the ability. But Jesus is really clear about how we will experience the world. <laughs> we read John 15 a lot, okay, but not that section. Reading from verse 18. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me first. If you were of the world, it would love you as its own. Instead, the world hates you because you're not of the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. Remember the word that I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. If they kept my word, they will keep yours as well. But they will treat you like this because of my name. Since they do not know the one who sent me, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. I don't know about you, but I, I hate the thought of being hated. I really like people liking me. <laughs> Makes life so much easier. And the, you know, if you remember the John 15, which you should, because you read it like 42 times last year, um, Bear in mind, what Jesus is saying before this is abide in me, love, produce fruit. It's, he talks about miracles and doing good things. And then after that, if the world hates you. It's just a weird thing about the gospel. And like I said earlier, if your life's easy and the world doesn't hate you, you might have to read this scripture again. Because you might not be reflecting Jesus. Not definitely, but maybe. 
And that's not just in case someone in the room, as Chris Vallotton says, that's not an excuse to adopt the spirit of stupid and go and do something to get yourself persecuted, okay? Um, but the reality is that Jesus says the world will hate us because it hated him. Because Jesus presses against the systems of the world and that's what he calls us to. By our very nature, with the spirit in us, we should be pushing against the systems of the world. And they should be reacting against us. Gosh, there are so many places I wanted to take this sermon. There are so many things to talk about. <laughs> you know, I, there's so many political issues I could talk about and I've got, like, got like one minute before I wanted to finish. Um, So let me, let, me, let me just say one, two last things. Like I could talk about abortion, I could talk about chance, I could talk about um, all sorts of things, greed, lust, all sorts of things. Um, one, of the, one of the hardest things um, in, in the United States and in many parts of the world over the last few years has obviously been racism and the wrestle with racism and hours and hours of conversations and the horrors of what we see on the news, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure we've all processed this in different ways. Um, and I think as we look at systems of the world, racism has to be one of the oldest. The ability for people to hate across different ethnic boundaries. And it's actually a biological thing. You know, we're just programmed through evolution that we trust those who look like us and we, don't trust, we trust less those who don't look like us. So there's a little bit of biology in there, but it's such an old system. Our ability to hate and kill and persecute those who are different to us. If ever there was a system of the world, it would be one. And we can look at the church. You know, I come from apartheid South Africa where the church used parts of scripture to justify apartheid, to justify racism. And we can look at parts of America and we can see that some of the states where the racism was the worst was where there was the highest percentage of Christians. And that's horrible. And that's, that system of the world, that system of the spirit of the air that infects the church. Because you, 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 you really have to edit this book if you want to think that racism is acceptable. Because <laughs> this is the most profound statement against racism that the world has ever known. Where Jesus himself our Lord, our God, the one who died for all, actually sets examples by loving those across ethnic bounds, by talking to those he shouldn't talk to, by revealing the fact that he's a Messiah to a sinful Samaritan woman, by praising a Roman centurion. And it's our gospel that says that there's no male or female, there's no slave or free, there's no black or white, but all are in Christ Jesus. Jesus loved to tear down these systems of the world. And <laughs> we have to model his system. We have to model love. And, and, and love is always pointing to him. And love is not saying what the world wants to hear. Love 
is speaking the truth of scripture and love is introducing people to Jesus. It's always pointing to him. In our lives, our lives have to be expressions of intimacy with him. Our church has to be a place of intimacy with him where people can come in and meet him. I think that's enough for me tonight. This could easily be five sermons. I think that's enough. Will you stand with me? Um, Matt, could you grab the elements, please? Um, there, we will have the communion up front here. Um, where's the team? Are you guys going to come up? Thank you. Um, Thank you, Matthew. Our beautiful new communion trolley, courtesy of Bill and Susie. Thank you, Bill and Susie. Um, <laughs> it doesn't look like it's going to fall over all the time. Um, one, of the, one of the things that, that, that I wrestle with a lot is, is how, to, how to speak in love when so often what we see around us is hate. And so many of the conversations and so much of our culture around us is just filled with hate and with fear. And this... Be, be wary of where you place your attention. There are certain sources out there, certain news sources, certain social media things that are going to feed fear. They're going to feed hate. And there's algorithms that will do that. <laughs> be wary of where you give your attention. And the more that you feel yourself turning to a reaction of defensiveness and hate or, or fear, the more you have to spend time with Jesus. Just go back to him. But I think the thing that helps me the most, and it's not easy, but first of all, we have to remember that we are sinners and we are saved and we are loved. And it's out of that place of being loved that we love. And the second thing is that... <laughs> No matter what the person is saying who is confronting me, no matter what is coming out their mouth, they are made in the image of God. And they may have rejected him, but he has not yet rejected them. They have not yet been the, the children of wrath that scripture speaks about. And we are called to love. And I just, I just I felt tonight, I was always asking, Lord, what's the point of the sermon? Why are we doing this? And I just thought two simple things, that as you come for communion, so ask the Holy Spirit to speak about places in your life where you've started to adopt the systems of the world. Or where you've started to adopt a, an idea which brings hate or fear in you. Because these are not Jesus' will for us. It's the second thing linked to that. It's just... Um, just repent of times where we haven't where we haven't walked in love. Where we've walked according to the systems of the world. Okay. One of the realities of scripture, and this is a reality, this is a permanent truth, I believe, is that Jesus always follows repentance. He always comes in where repentance is spoken. That's the lesson that John gives us, John the Baptist gives us. Jesus follows repentance. 
And the more we repent, the more we will see of Him. On the night that He was betrayed, Jesus took bread and He broke it and He says to His disciples, this is my body which is broken for you. And at supper too, He took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And this body and this blood has defeated every system of the world. And it is a reminder that we have the Spirit of God in us that will lead us into all truth. So when you are ready and as we worship, come and receive the body and the blood of Christ.